we just need to create an atmosphere of faith and uh, expectation. And uh, because I, you know, sometimes I have to realize that we it's not there sometimes. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Because I just, I live that way, you know. And I don't realize sometimes that everybody doesn't. <laughs> and I know some of you are catching on fire and it's just wonderful and then others there's a level of maturity you know there's always different phases and stages and all that looking through the window dipping your toe in and all and all that's fine but we want to we want people to know that this is a place to come and uh, and be healed and whole and uh, delivered and you know raised up in every way and so we need to just see that and you know old Kenneth Hagin used to say that thinking faith thoughts and speaking faith words will lead the heart out of defeat and into victory and that's a fact it's really sounds simple but it's it's just the truth um Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these beautiful hearts that have come here to receive your word and to fellowship together as you've called us to do. We thank you for all of your guidance and truth and peace, love and joy. Thank you for the manna from heaven. Lead us and guide us, Lord, and help us to grow in our uh, hearing to have hearing hearts for you, Lord, to be able to hear you clearly, have a vibrant, passionate relationship with you, and help us to always agree with you and agree with you quickly and watch our lives prosper and help others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The, um, I, I just realized yesterday that this is Thanksgiving, so <laughs> I won't see you again until after Thanksgiving. So this is... This will be our Thanksgiving message, so it's always kind of a, it's sort of a history thing with me I get into this time of year, I, because I don't think we hear the real history, and uh, honestly, we don't hear the even the real truth about anything, uh, in all the old formats, you know, that I grew up with, and you grew up with, or most of us, you know, but, and it's strange to me, you know, there was a trial Obviously, uh, I think everything should be talked about in church because if you look into some of the networks and things like that, to talk about, you're not going to hear it. But, you know, there was just a whole, I mean, I already had a, I already had my beliefs about that thing. But then I realized about a hundred different truths that I didn't even know before that, you know. Because they, they were never, you know, I don't watch TV. I don't even have it anymore. But uh, I hear from others, you know. And I know this stuff wasn't reported about this kid. The truth of it all. This is Grandpa's gas station. He And, and out of state was 13 miles. It's like the next town over where all his family lived there. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. So all these things, we just don't get the truth anymore. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So we are called to be thankful in all situations and circumstances. 
And you know, yesterday was 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 yeah, it was my wife and I's anniversary. It wasn't our birthday. It was our anniversary, and uh, and uh, but you know, and I got her a card that's. Uh, it says something like, you know, all of my uh, my wonderful memories of you, and uh, and dreams of the future are all with me and you, hand in hand, you know, blah blah blah. <laughs> and her card to me was, you know, everything about me, everything, all the good and all the bad, and you love me anyway. And so I just have one question for you: What's wrong with you? <laughs> That's my wife. She's hilarious. But she's awesome. And, you know, I gave her a plant, and we call it our anniversary tree. And we looked at it on the, the night before our anniversary, and we had fun, you know. And then on the, and we both had to go to work at noon, so yesterday. So, uh, but in the morning, you know, one of the, one of the boys called. Uh, was having a bad day at work, and they were out to get him, and so forth and so on. It really looked like they were, and and uh, and you know we got to minister to him. And I listened to Vanna for a while. She did really great. Everything she said was right on. And then she said, "And I'm putting you on speaker, you know." And she because she knows who the the priest of that household is. She knows who. You know, to turn to, and because uh, she believes, one thing about her is she believes. She has faith, and she knows the word is true, and it have, creates results. And so we began to minister to him and just tell him how to turn this thing around. You know, because it's just so easy. The natural thing to do in this world is to be negative. It's easy. It's easy to be one of the ten spies. But to have the attitude of Joshua and Caleb, yeah, the, the giants are big, but our God is bigger. But so are the grapes, you know, and, uh, and God is for us, and who can stand against us? Let's go. Let's conquer the land. You know, that's the attitude that Christians are supposed to have. We walk into a place, it's supposed to make a difference. The light has come. Darkness flees. And we speak life and peace and love and blessings into those situations. And, you know, we edified him, and then... And then she said, okay, and then we're going we're gonna to pray. And I stopped. I said, hold on. Because he's old enough now, <laughs> past old enough. I said, do you, do you, do you want to pray? And he answered in the affirmative. And that was a wonderful thing. And so we did. And uh, I, I have every reason. And, and she just kept saying afterwards, she goes, if he, she goes, it's just going to turn all around. I said, yeah, if he, if he, the, there's not a doubt. Everything we told him is how the kingdom of God operates and how to win in those situations. But you have to apply it. You have to believe it and you have to apply those truths, you know. And uh, but anyway, I'm believing that he will. And uh, but that made our day, you know, that made our day. That's that's what brings a Christian uh, happiness and peace is to be able to edify someone else and to speak into situations the wisdom of God the word of God and to pray and all that and uh, it makes life fun with the Lord to be used of God is is, uh, is a special thing and, a, and a, a great privilege I like to talk about the origins of American Thanksgiving 
Um, but this year, I, I started thinking about it instead of just doing the regular thing, um, which I don't I normally do a regular thing, but this is, this is kind of special to me, so I just always share the same things on Thanksgiving. But before I could talk about the, the origin of American Thanksgiving, I felt like we had to discuss the origins of America, period. <clears throat> because there's a lot of crazy nonsense going around. And you've heard of uh, CRT or critical race theory. Well, you see, by, by the multitudes, people went around this country and took back their school boards in this past election. Yes. And that's a wonderful thing. That's what we need to do. We need to get involved in the grassroots level, and Christians need to quit being so passive. Um, if Christians would ever vote the Bible together as a whole, as a unified body like we're supposed to be, everything would change overnight. And I think this third great awakening, you're going to see wonderful things. People are going to get excited for the real Jesus, and it's going to be so fun that we get to be a part of it. But this stuff's being shoved down the throats of the American people and taught to our children. And it's really... I'm going to simplify it for you in spiritual terms. It's Satan's part of Satan's plan to continue creating divisiveness, to bring Marxism, socialism, which will lead to communism, then to one world government, then to usher in his end time plan of the Antichrist. It's really that simple. And uh, do you see me afraid of that? No, I'm not afraid of that. But I'm telling you, that's, that's the clear and simple of it. And um, here's, here's, I just want to talk about that a little bit. So there's a, there's a, there's a, I don't know if any of you are familiar with David Barton and Wall Builders uh, Ministry. It's a wonderful, they're friends of, of, uh, of Andrews and, and some of us. But the, um, it's, a, it's a guy and his son, and they have an amazing, amazing historical ministry about America. Anyway, they have a thing called the 1620 uh, uh, program, and there's a book out called the 1620 Project. I haven't read it, and I'm not actually saying anything about it, but here's just the description of this 1620 Project book on Amazon. Here's what it says. When and where was America founded? Was it in Virginia in 1619 when a pirate ship landed a group of captive Africans at Jamestown? What they're talking about, the colony in Jamestown, Virginia, one of the first, they're talking about a Portuguese slave ship full of slaves, pirates hit it, English pirates stole it, and they landed by, basically by accident in Jamestown, Virginia, and they started doing the bad things, Okay. Well, in that same period of time, something else was going on. Anyway, let me just keep reading. <clears throat> when a pirate ship landed in 1619, a group of captive Africans at Jamestown, so asserted the New York Times. So in, in the New York Times wrote a big thing about this, saying this was the foundation of America. Everything stemmed from that terrible thing, Okay. So that's what uh, the New York Times said in August of 2019 when it announced its 1619 project. The Times set out to transform history 
by tracing American institutions, culture, and prosperity to that pirate ship and the exploitation of African Americans that followed. A controversy erupted with historians pushing back against what they say, because all the historians say, wait, this is nonsense. But they don't listen to historians. They seldom do if it doesn't fit their narrative. Okay. So with historians pushing back against what they say is a false narrative conjured out of racial grievance. And that's the fact. This book sums up what the critics have said and argued that the proper starting point for the American story is 1620 with the signing of the Mayflower Compact. That, that Mayflower Compact was basically these pilgrims, which the word pilgrim comes from the Apostle Peter in the scriptures, their covenant with God, their covenant contract with God, what they intended to do and to be in this country before they ever got off the ship. Anyway, aboard the ship, the compact, uh, Mayfire Compact, aboard ship before the pilgrims set foot on the Massachusetts wilderness. A nation as complex as ours, of course, has many starting points, most notably the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Another godly, God-inspired, and I can show you where every, every part of it came from, from sermons preached from the American pulpits prior to 1680. But the quintessential ideas of American self-government and ordered liberty grew from the deliberate actions of the Mayflower immigrants in 1620. Schools across the country have already adopted the Times' radical revision of history as part of their curricula. The stakes are high. Should children be taught that our nation is a 400-year-old system of racist oppression, Or should they learn that what has always made America exceptional is our pursuit of liberty and justice for all? The Bible teaches us in Romans 12, 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our instruction as Christians, and that's how God handles things himself. So, the Mayfire Compact and the happenings of Plymouth, Massachusetts in 1620 was the Lord's response to the evil that was happening in Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. You see? Satan's always working, and so is God to counter all the, the things that the enemy is trying to accomplish. God has got a corresponding good to overcome and to thwart that evil. If people will embrace it, just like he has salvation available to everyone through Christ for everyone who will embrace it. Amen. The Christians at Plymouth Rock entered into a covenant with God in Plymouth for a God-fearing people to disciple and raise up a God-fearing nation. And that's really where the entire Judeo-Christian belief system, the Constitution, all of the founding fathers said that this would never work without God-fearing people 
who agreed with the tenets and doctrine of this book right here, this Bible. Even the ones that weren't really considered or calling themselves Christians, they knew for whatever reason this was the right way to be and to do and it was the only way that the freedoms that they were writing into this Constitution and the 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 rule by the people and for the people that would only work as long as people were godly and considered others above themselves. In other words, every democracy in history has failed when the people realized they could vote generous gifts for themselves out of the government coffers. Such as, hey, my numbers are really bad right now as a president. Can we buy socialism for a trillion dollars? I got <laughs> I got a an email from another minister and he's a black guy I used to minister with alongside he was very helpful to me in the early years and uh I love him and uh I just can't have anything to do with him because he's kind of lost it as far as I'm concerned but he sends me stuff harassing me all the time <clears throat> sort of Black Pantherish type stuff. I don't know what his deal is. Black Jesus and all that. And man, I don't even think that way, you know? I don't care. Everyone's welcome in this church. Red, yellow, black, or white. You know, I don't care. And uh, I will fight to the death for anybody, you know? Before I even really knew the Lord, one of the toughest men I've ever known in my life wanted to, wanted to hurt a Sikh man kind of where the turbans from India just because he was a Sikh and in his country he had fought against them and he said they're terrible people and he'd been drinking and I said leave him alone man he hadn't done anything he started telling me all these terrible things about these people and so forth and he's I said I don't care man leave him alone he said are you prepared to die for him in other words he turned on me and I said yeah I am and about a Ten second stare down, which was seemed like an eternity to me. <laughs> he just let it go, and he, <laughs> thankfully. But I still feel that way, even more now that I know the Lord. Amen. So I don't get that, though. I don't get people that promote that sort of thing, that focus on that sort of thing. And he's this minister, so trying to find some help. Because he had sent me some really lunatic stuff before, and I had to put some boundaries in our lives. <laughs> and then he sent me a video of uh, Dr. Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans, who I do admire and respect. Uh, he's a, a great pastor. Uh, I don't always agree with everything that he says either. But I watched the video because it was him. And he was basically calling uh, for a period, he said, we're in, he was talking to his white <coughs> pastor friends, whoever they may be, whoever out hears the message. And he said, this is your opportunity to repent and to fix a lot of the things that uh, need to be fixed and to uh, undo the wrongs of the past, basically. Uh, I don't agree with that. And so I sent it, you know, I, I sent it to, you know, a friend of mine whom you will meet here. He's an amazing man of God. 
And, uh, and he, he sent back the same thing that I was thinking, only more eloquently, and it was just off the top of his head because that's how brilliant he is. And I'm going to read it to you today. And I, I don't know why, but this is the Lord wanted me to minister along these lines today, so I hope it's uh, for someone. Um, I really do just believe that it's, you know, we're in a time where the church uh, has to mature, and we, we should be talking about everything. If it's talked about anywhere, it needs to be talked about in the church because there's a biblical point of view about everything. And to stick our heads in the sand has been part of the problem. Okay. Okay. So anyway, it's a happy message, but I'm I'm just just going through some things. So and and you can take it or leave it. You know, anytime you hear a message ministered from the pulpit or a word of prophecy or anything else, it's just like eating fish. You know, you take the flesh and you spit out the bones. If you don't agree with it or believe it or you study it out and it's just not your thing, then that's fine. But I'm going to tell you what I believe and what I really believe the Lord has shown me. And I, I know him pretty well. So. So here's what my, my, I said to my friend, what do you think about this? And I didn't, I didn't bias it anyway. I didn't say what I thought or, you know, do that. And he said, hmm. <laughs> um, let's see. Response from a friend regarding video. Another minister sent me in October by Pastor Tony Evans asserting it was time an opportunity for white pastors to repent and stop the systemic racism in the church. Okay, here's what he said. Hmm. Tony is not talking about Pastor Tony Evans. Tony's not wrong about systemic racism. It did and still does exist in areas. I think we would all agree. We once did a revival in a church in Tennessee where the pastor was upset that black people came to the meetings. That is terrible. I agree, because Pastor Tony Evans said that Billy Graham had done a good thing when he integrated all of his revivals. They, they wanted him to segregate them, and he said he wouldn't do it. That was a great thing. He, I agree that Billy Graham modeled real change when he refused to allow all of his crusades to be segregated. But I sincerely challenge how much racism is actually prevalent today in the body of Christ. I actually see more reverse racism where black ministers preach against the evil white man. I believe the bigger question is, where should our focus be? Not looking backwards, never. God only leads forward. We are in this world, not of it. Anything in violation of God's word should be refuted and immediately remedied. Isn't that a no-brainer? Racism is a scourge, but repenting of things from generations before is foolhardy. Where does it ever end? It doesn't. There is always a people group with a historical injustice to remedy. It's nonsense. God wants his people focused forward, reaching the world, and making disciples and correcting error in the church in all its forms. My opinion, the enemy stirs up racism and division in the church because it gets the church to take its eyes off the prize. Just my quick thoughts. He signed it and says, When the law strengthen the church, demonstrate his mighty power. And I agree. I, the reason I shared what he wrote because I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> and that's just the truth of it. I don't. I think. I think racism is fueled and kept alive because it serves a political agenda. And I don't really think that it's uh, wherever it does exist, and it does. 
Uh, I don't know of any good people that really tolerate that sort of thing. I don't. I know there's not a, cert, a single person in this room that would. So uh, it's not something that uh, we need to repent of here. And so I'm not even going to entertain that thought. I'm just going to continue pushing forward and welcoming and encouraging any people who want to come to this church to come and be loved and to be helped, healed, empowered, loved, and prospered with the love of God. Amen. So, it gets to the point that people are hurting all over the world and in in this nation. I I don't say particularly in this nation because I think we're so blessed and entitled and uh, and spoiled in this nation that that, uh, we have it a lot better than a lot of places in the world. But there's tragedy everywhere. I mean, just listen to the things we... We had to start with just to figure, see how what to pray for, and uh, there's a laundry list every week because bad things happen. This is a fallen world, and unfortunately, you know, every time you need, want to celebrate, uh, especially the closer you come to God and the more involved in ministry you get, uh, you can't help but you know there's 40 negative things happen in people's lives all around you, and. Uh, and uh, you have to find a, a way to balance all that. But the thing is, we always have good news. We always have joy. We can celebrate in every situation and circumstance because of the fact that we have Jesus. And our end is good. And, uh, you know, this is, this is not our home. We're just here recruiting. So we need to keep that in mind and keep an eternal perspective. And it'll help. Because the utopia that people are looking for, see, people have always tried to, to do these things, with people apart from God. That's where philosophy and all that came from, with the, what the Bible always talking about the Greeks. Those are the ones who try to get all the knowledge and education and understanding they can. Nothing wrong with that. Except they exclude God because they are the God, you see. And so then they have to figure out how to fix it all and how we all need to be and do. And then if you ever get their way, then they start mandating all these things and taking more and more freedoms and privileges away from a government that was supposed to be led and governed by the people. It goes to an elite few. And then what you end up with when you really do get socialism and communism, Marxism, that sort of thing, is just a corrupt, huge government. And they're the ones who benefit because there's going to be corruption because the fallen man is basically evil and not good. And then you'll have a corrupt government uh, class and the military that backs them up and you won't be able to to ever get it back and it might sound like a good idea at first but it never works so the utopia that people believe that they can create it's just pride because when anything that doesn't include God as the solution uh, is really the spirit of antichrist and it's not going to work anyway and Satan's the one that's behind it and the problem is always people as long as we live in this fallen world the answer is always Jesus and the 
utopia that people are trying to create, which it's always good to try to make the world better, leave it better than you found it, leave everything better. I try that in my own home. I try every time I walk into a room, I try to leave it a little better than I found it. I'll pick something up. I'll do, you know, straighten something, wipe something down. I, it's just a thing of mine. I don't know. I, I try to leave everything a little better than I found it. But uh, the world that people are trying to create by this nonsensical uh, ideologies and politics is only going to happen when Jesus returns. That's I can read you the end of this book and tell you all about it, and it sounds exactly what like what they say they want, but they can't have it without him, and they're not going to have it without him. And so that's our job is to go and let people know what they're missing out on, and really our lives should be what is provoking people to jealousy to want what we have in Christ. Not our physical or tangible, not an ungodly jealousy, but a, a godly jealousy. I've had that happen to me before, and I'm not any kind of a super saint or Christian, but I, I, I've got friends that they would stand here and tell you today that you know I, when I met this one guy, he was sitting across from Tavana and I about 12 or 13 years ago in our, in our home, and uh, he came there to... to list a house for us for sale and uh and he wouldn't stop staring at me he kept looking away but then he kept staring at me for like two hours this went on and he just like like i had something on my face but it wasn't in my face it was my eyes he was just looking and and when he started to before he left he just when he was done with his business he just said all right man i want what you have and I knew it wasn't the tangible things because we had run out of those temporarily. <laughs> and I knew exactly what he meant. And I said, well, God wants you to have it too. And uh, we ended up going to church together for quite a number of years. And he lives way down south by Pasadena now. Otherwise, he'd probably be here now. But he, um, that's how it works, you know. People should see a difference in uh, someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And it should make a difference in the world. And God is using this season to elevate people that love Him and know Him and are really after His own heart, like He described David, to positions of authority and, uh, and ministry. And a lot of the churches that were closed down uh, weren't closed down by the devil. Uh, and a lot of them won't be opening up again. Uh, I talk to people every day when in just a plethora of churches that just uh, they're trying, trying, struggling to keep their doors open. Well, believe it or not, <laughs> we've prospered during all this uh, uh, a great deal. And it's not a numbers thing, but I mean, in every way we have prospered and uh, it's just going to get better and better. Um can we talk a little bit about the, the first Thanksgiving since it's Thanksgiving? The pilgrims, you know, they 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 left in September of 1620 from England. There was a there was supposed to be two ships, one called I think the Speedwell or something like that. But on they tried to leave three times and it kept springing leaks. 
So it didn't go. And so 102 of them ended up taking off on the uh, the one ship, and they got here in uh, the winter because they arrived later than they had hoped to. And um, they had a hard time that winter. And the Indians helped them. Yeah, they did. So they made some friends. The Indians helped them survive through that first winter, which was horrid. And actually, a bunch of the folks died. Um, so a lot of them didn't make it through that first winter. And the uh, they had signed this Mayflower Compact, which was America's first civil document of government and the first to introduce self-government by the people. These were Christians, by the way. The reason they came is because they were persecuted Christians who were sort of in non-denominational churches. They wanted to worship and uh, and, and serve the Lord um, as he had shown them and it they would be they could be killed or imprisoned if they weren't in the the denomination of which was really the the king was the head of the church and that's not god god never has accepted that um, those of you who've studied the Bible, just look at uh, King Saul tried it for a minute. And he, uh, he tried it without Samuel, didn't he? And he lost his kingdom to David because of it. So <laughs> we're not supposed to be doing that. Anyway, they, um, they fled here to, to establish a Christian nation, and that's what they did. And it says, after a prayer service, the pilgrims began building hasty shelters However, unprepared for the starvation and sickness of a harsh New England winter, nearly half died before spring. So they, they had a hard time of it. But they did make it through. The ones that did, the grateful pilgrims declared a three-day feast in the springtime because um, they are in the summer because they, uh, they got a great harvest from what they planted and they brought seeds and stuff with them. And anyway, they had a great harvest. They said, let's, let's do a three-day feast. Uh, to celebrate and to thank God and uh, to celebrate with their Indian friends. So that's what they did on that first Thanksgiving. It wasn't the first Thanksgiving they ever had in America. There was one in Virginia, but it wasn't a, a festival and a Thanksgiving to God like this one was. But there's a pilgrim who wrote in the, uh, that, was, well, that was there, and he wrote about this, and these are the words from his diary. He said, Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling. In other words, he went bird hunting, okay? Uh, so that we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. The four in one day killed as much fowl as served the company almost a week. Many of the Indians came amongst us and their greatest king, Massasoit, with some 90 men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted. And they went out and killed five deer, which they brought. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are far from one. So, gave God the glory and thanked Him and told about their celebration. And then in 1789... Following a proclamation issued by President George Washington, America celebrated its first day of thanksgiving to God under its new constitution. 
And that same year, the Protestant Episcopal Church, of which President Washington was a member, announced that the first Thursday in November would become its regular day of giving thanks. Much of the credit for the adoption of the later annual National Thanksgiving Day may be attributed to Mrs. Sarah Joseph Hale, the editor of Godby's Lady Book, Ladies Book. For 30 years, this woman promoted the idea of a National Thanksgiving Day, contacting president after president after president until Abraham Lincoln responded to her letter in 1863 by setting aside the last Thursday of November as a National Day of Thanksgiving over the next 75 years. Presidents followed Lincoln's precedent annually declaring a national Thanksgiving Day. Then in 1941, Congress permanently established the fourth Thursday of each November as a national holiday. I like to tell this story about Lincoln because it always touched me. I used to have uh, all of his uh, his letters and, and journals and, uh, and a set of books that was very old, but... I don't have it anymore, but I always loved and studied his life, and it's very interesting to me. Lincoln's original 1863 Thanksgiving proclamation, it's pretty lengthy. Um, it came, um, spiritually speaking, at a pivotal point in his life. During the first week of July of 1863, this was during the, the Civil War, they had the Battle of Gettysburg. It was a terrible battle. Uh, 60,000 Americans died in that one battle. Four months later, in November, Abraham Lincoln delivered his famous Gettysburg Address. You know, four score, seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, etc., etc. It was... But it was while Lincoln was walking amongst the thousands of graves there in Gettysburg that he committed his life to Christ. As he explained to a friend, when I left Springfield to assume the presidency, I asked the people to pray for me. I was not a Christian. When I buried my son, the severest trial of my life, I was not a Christian. But when I went to Gettysburg and saw the graves of thousands of our soldiers, I then and there consecrated myself to Christ. So, as Americans celebrate Thanksgiving each year, we hope that we will retain the original gratefulness to God uh, displayed by these original pilgrims and our founding fathers and remember that those early courageous pilgrims um, they did a lot to establish the foundation of this country. It was not the evil things that happened. There have always been and always been, will be evil men until Jesus returns. Just like Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. That's not his will. That's because of Satan and his will. Death and destruction and all its various forms came through the enemy, not through God. We know that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And it's his will that we be in good health and prosper in every way, even as our souls prosper. So we want to always keep this in mind. And, uh, you know, just sort of ask our question 
to ourselves, how do, how do we see Thanksgiving? And what is it all about? And I don't know too many people that really, you know, I, 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 like, I like the normal things about Thanksgiving just like everybody, you know, the, the turkey and dressing and the, all that and the getting together. And uh, in the old days, it was always a little different, you know, <laughs> through, uh, through other things on top of that. Or I'd just go sit in the bar all day, you know, it didn't matter. But now, uh, you know, I think about God a lot more. And as we should, and I try to draw other people's focus and attention on all of the blessings that we have. The best way to get our minds off of ourselves and uh, and off of our own situations and circumstances is to think of others and to be uh, learn to be thankful. Um, that's God's will for our life. And uh, matter of fact, it may be the one of the most important parts of the Christian life, I would say. Um, the problem with most Christians is that we don't see Christianity as really much of a life. And I'm not really saying that about the folks here, but when people think of Christianity, they think that church is where fun goes to die, you know. And it should not be that way. <laughs> um, it's not that way. God is fun. Jesus is fun. And he's very cool. He's very awesome. And he loves to have fun with us if we will just get to know him and practice cultivating our hearing. That's why I've been talking about it so much. This is something I've been praying very much and diligently for in my own life is to hear him better, to more clearly understand when it's him talking because it's not an audible voice that we're looking for. It's a knowing. It's an unction. It's something when you go. And to do that, you have to really be paying attention. You have to want to hear him and tell him you're expecting. Pray for that and then expect to hear from him. And then when you do, it could be, it's it, you know, just like we always say, it's not in the earthquake, it's not in the fire, it's not in the wind, it's in the gentle whisper, you know. And there's lots of ways that he talks to us and... The last thing we want to do is put him in a box and say the last thing, last time he talked to me, this is how he did it, and then go sit there and wait for the same thing to happen again. You're going to miss him because it's going to be different next time. But you will cultivate a knowing and a way of, of hearing him, and it is it makes life so beautiful because I I I've loved the Lord for for a while, and I really have cultivated relationship, sought after him, I found him, he has dealt with me, he's shown himself to me, I, I know exactly what he looks like, I, I know the Lord, but I still crave, you know, to grow, you know, it's like when you're 16, you know everything, and then every year after that, you know less until you die, and then the more you know... The longer you serve in ministry, the and the and you just get so filled with this, you realize you know nothing. Uh, you compared to him and that and what he wants to reveal to you and show you and the beautiful things that he still has in store. And so it gets exciting. It gets so exciting. It is so much to be thankful for. But what most people do is because they don't think it's much of a lie. 
in Christianity and they don't understand the things that I'm talking about here. They sort of try to keep one foot in their salvation and the other foot in the world so as they, uh, you know, don't, don't miss out on anything. And uh, <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth, though. You just have to understand the Christian life requires Christ to be at the center of that life if you really want it to blossom and to be fun and to be full and to be fulfilling, you know. And uh, so that's, that's what I'm trying to encourage everyone that I know. And, you know, I'm having more of an effect, I think, than ever before. So I know God is really reaching out to people because they I found that there I have a lot more listening ears that they really are hearing what I'm saying about the Lord. And they and I think that um, if you don't really believe that we're in the initial phases of this third great awakening, you need to start believing or you need to start praying about it and let the Lord talk to you about it. Because it's great to be on the ground floor of something like this. Because it's going to be a very exciting time. So anyway, I just want to encourage everyone to to remember God during this Thanksgiving. Here we're sort of kicking off the holiday season here today, I guess. And I just want to remind you to keep Jesus at the center of it. And remember, he inhabits the praise of his people, you know. So, you know, Tabana and I, we we sort of, um, you know, when you don't when you don't live your early life uh, around God and uh, raise up everything in your life based on his word and his truths and all that, it, it creates hardships of your own making. But we're, we're sort of happy, uh, very happy, I would say, to just have recognized it and just to draw that line in the sand, as it were. And so now we consider ourselves pilgrims, in a sense. You know, we, even though our families in history have been, have walked with God, we, they went away from it for generations. Tavana's mother didn't. She was a, I need to say that for sure, but she was the only one in their family. But her mother was a, she was a great believer and she was very dedicated to uh, her church but um, the rest of uh, my family and everything has sort of gone away from God and we decided hey even no matter what you know we're going to be the ones that stop that trend and we're going to whatever it takes and it has not been easy but we're going to bring this family back to God and, and that's the exciting thing because we're believing for the salvation of everyone and, uh, you know, we're going to continue to pray and believe for that and believe in it for all of your families as well. I'm going to finish with this here because I'm still just focused on the fact that that's thanks, thankfulness is our spiritual thermometer. And it's a, it's a great indicator of where we are in our relationship with God. So you can test yourself right there. You know, a, a thankful person is also a happy person, you know. So you start thinking about the negative things. Just start focusing on anything you can that's good. First of all, if you're walking, you know, if you have a roof over your head, whatever it is, you can find something to be thankful for and just start telling God, thank you for things and watch what he does. He'll start pouring it on. But there was a a preacher in the early uh, days uh, of America. His name was Matthew Henry. And... Uh, he has a, a commentary on the Bible out and 
and I've uh, I spent some time in that. But in his journal or his diary, he, he uh, some of you heard me tell this story before. But once he was traveling to preach, and back then there were no cars and all that, but so he was on horseback. But he was robbed, and uh, most people wouldn't think of this uh, as a circumstance in which you would give thanks, but he did. Here's what he wrote. I'm thankful that during these years, I've never been robbed before. Also, even though they took my money, they didn't take my life. Although they took all I had, it wasn't much. Finally, I'm grateful that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. So there's always something to be thankful for. And this coming from a man who probably was just beaten and <laughs> took all his money and probably his horse too and walking into town penniless and uh, just talking about all he was thankful for. Now that's a great example. And you know, I'm sure that God restored all those things to him and more because of that. All right. Well, thank you, Lord, for this time together and this uh, this interesting <laughs> Uh, but sweet uh, meeting today, Lord. And we just thank you for your people that are here. We just pray for all of them and their families and all of those who hear this message by some other means that you are blessed in every way. I just pray the prayer of Jabez that you be blessed indeed in every way by God that you know and experience his love and his presence and his provision and peace and power in your life and especially his salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.